Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. There's a lot of concern that kids are going to get confused, that they're not going to understand how languages work. And what we tend to forget, especially in America, is that globally, multilingualism is the norm. We're actually kind of the anomaly in that way. We see English as the majoritized language of power that is supposed to be the most important, but it's not. Globally, kids are learning multiple languages all the time and doing just fine. Yes, there are instances of code mixing and code switching where you might see some words in one language, some in another. You might see grammatical patterns transfer over, but that's not confusion. That's a normal part of language development. And those are things you're going to see in a kid that speaks one language too. Welcome to the Pedstock Talk podcast. This show's success is largely due to you and the way you share the podcast with others and leave reviews. So keep doing so. And thank you so much. I am so grateful to have the most amazing guests to guide you in your parenting journey. Topics about all things parenting, child health, child development, and parental mental health. Today's guest is Alicia Gandhi. She is a bilingual speech language pathologist and clinical assistant professor of communicative sciences and disorders at NYU. And she's joining me today to talk about misconceptions about bilingualism, trilingualism, and I cannot wait to chat with her. Thank you for joining me today, Alicia. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Dr. Mona. I am just so happy that we can chat about this because there are a lot of misconceptions about speaking two languages, especially for our younger kiddos when we are teaching them. But before we get into the conversation, tell us more about yourself and why you love being a speech language pathologist. Yeah, of course. So I am a pediatric bilingual speech language pathologist, and I also am a clinical educator and clinical assistant professor. I have spent my career working in schools, early intervention, home care, private practice, medical settings. Um, so kind of across the pediatric population. Love it. Um, and I've really worked a lot with multilingual children and multilingual families. So really supporting their communication and their languaging in all of the languages that they speak or communicate in, all the ways that they communicate. And I love being able to support children and their families and accessing communication, connecting to the world around them, honoring their ways of languaging. You know, I truly believe communication is a human right and everyone deserves to express their message and be validated for it. No one form of communication is more valuable than another. And I think honoring those languaging practices, especially those home languaging practices, is so, so important for our kiddos and for their families. 
Oh, love to hear it. And yes, I love that you have been in many different areas of being involved in children's life and their development. So I'm sure you've gained so much experience just from all the things that you've done. Yeah, absolutely. It's been wonderful to get to work with families in all different settings, kind of see all of the different needs and really be able to support kids as they grow up. Awesome. And like I said, we're going to be chatting about bilingualism, multilingualism. And first of all, before we get into the misconceptions you hear, what are some of the benefits? I know you mentioned beautifully already that there's no one superior thing. So of course, we're talking about if a family is bilingual, wants to teach their children multiple languages, what are the benefits of this multilingualism or bilingualism? Yeah, absolutely. So when I think about bilingualism, you know, in terms of just the definition of the word by two lingualism languages, so often thought of as being in two languages, but a lot of our kids are multilingual learners, which means they are developing multiple languages simultaneously as they develop language in general. That might be in a U.S. context, that's typically English and a language or the family at home. But that also includes sign languages. Mm -hmm. It includes dialectal varieties. Those are all considered parts of a child's languaging and their language development journey. Um, So it's really important to also kind of keep in mind that it's not, we talk a lot about named languages. So these words that we use like English, Spanish, Gujarati, but you know, our languaging practices are really kind of one system within us. And it's really important to support that within our learners. And we know that there is so, so many benefits being multilingual, being bilingual or multilingual. One, we know that our multilingual learners just overall have great language skills. Mm -hmm. It is well known that kids who are learning multiple languages and multiple ways of communicating are better at learning new words. They are great benefits to their literacy development. They are really good at using information in new ways and having that cognitive flexibility. Just overall, you know, there's been tons of cognitive benefits that we've seen for children who are multilingual, working memory benefits, executive functioning benefits, problem solving, and also connecting and listening to other people, being able to really tune into what other people are saying because they're constantly in the process of attuning their communication to their communication partner. Another really wonderful benefit of bilingualism is, you know, there's huge social emotional benefit. Mm -hmm. When a child is learning multiple languages, they're also being immersed in multiple cultures. And that connection to their own culture, their own identity, to their family, to their background, to their own identity, to their own history is really important for social and emotional development. So encouraging that really fosters their mental health and their emotional growth in that sense as well. Really hitting all the domains, right? Obviously, I think a lot of parents, when they hear about language development, they think, okay, it's just language. But of course, like you said, there is cognitive development that's there. There is social and emotional development that's there. So it is a useful kind of tool and a useful thing for their entire brain and entire development. So I love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Communication is the way we interact and make Mm -hmm. meaning of and learn about the world around us. And so all of those pieces are impacted when we're honoring communication practices. Well, I love to hear this. And obviously knowing the benefits of bilingualism or multilingualism is absolutely there. There are a lot of misconceptions about this. You know, I think one of the big ones I'll throw out there, and of course, I'm sure you even hear even more than what I'm going to say, 
is the misconception that if you teach multiple languages, that they get a pass on milestones in terms of what we expect of them in terms of how many words they should have by a certain age. So I get this a lot like, hey, you know, we're speaking two languages at home. So, you know, they're a little bit not, you know, they're not speaking as much, but that's because of the multiple languages. So that is definitely one of them. But I would love to hear what other misconceptions or maybe truths that you see about or hear about bilingualism or multilingualism in families with young infants and toddlers. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I mean, I think there's tons of myths and misconceptions. I think the one that you mentioned about kind of that milestone development and that milestones are different or we don't look at them because a child is bilingual. Um, that's definitely a huge myth that's out there. You know, it's really important kind of across the world, language development, it's an innate human process. Mm -hmm. And it develops pretty similarly in terms of developing words, hitting milestones. Kids who speak one language and kids who speak multiple languages are going to develop at different rates. They're going to develop Mm -hmm. their language at different rates. There's really not a huge difference between children who are learning one language who some learn it faster than others and children who are learning multiple languages. You know, that's the case no matter what. I think the multilingualism gives people an excuse for why, you know, they feel like their child might be not developing language as quickly as possible. But the truth is that every child develops the way they're meant to and they're doing it on their own timeline. Again, we want to support that. We do see sometimes when a child is exposed to one language in the home, Primarily, and then maybe they enter a new setting, daycare, school, where they're now immersed in an entirely new language. And oftentimes in the U.S. context, that is English. Yeah. Um, we do see sometimes there is a time where maybe their communication becomes a little bit less. Maybe they're a little bit more reserved or mm-hmm. quieter than they've been in the past because they're kind of taking in all this information, but they're not developing more slowly um, or at a different rate than anyone else. They're honing their cognitive development. It's kind of like we talk about any milestone, right? They're learning something new. So something else kind of needs to take a little backseat for a while before it, it all catches up and comes together. And that's with all of the milestones. So that's kind of one big myth that I hear. And the other one, and this is one I got all the time. And it's so frustrating and Mm -hmm. upsetting and disappointing because typically I hear this from parents who really trust the practitioners, the professionals in their lives like us. They are pediatricians, they're speech and language therapists, Mm -hmm. teachers, daycare providers, sometimes family members, educators. There are so many people that tell families that they should not use their home language practices mm. with their child and in the U.S. in favor of English or a majoritized language. And all of the research tells us otherwise, yet we still hear it today, 2023, I think almost every other week. I have a parent who wow. said, yeah, we stopped speaking this language at home because he was having difficulty and the pediatrician said to stop or the speech therapist said to stop. And we know for a fact that one, that's not true at all. So first of all, one thing with bilingualism, there's a lot of concern that kids are going to get confused, that they're not going to understand how languages work. And what we tend to forget, especially in America, is that globally, multilingualism is the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, We're actually kind of the anomaly in that way. We see English as the majoritized language of power that is supposed to be the most important, but it's not, right? Globally, 
kids are learning multiple languages all the time and doing just fine. Yes, there are instances of code mixing and code switching where you might see some words in one language, some in another. You might see grammatical patterns transfer over, but that's not confusion. That's a normal part of language development. And those are things you're going to see in a kid that speaks one language too. Correct. They're learning new yeah. words and learning new ways of speaking. They're figuring out how to put language together. So it's not a sign of confusion. It's a sign that they're making sense of their language of communication. Um, there's also concerns that they won't learn English well if they're exposed primarily to a language other than English at home. And English is often the language of academics and of power in the United States, which again, it's untrue. Language learning skills, and in fact, the better exposure you have to language in any language from as a child is going to really set any child up for success in learning whatever language and languaging practices they are going to need in their, you know, academic career, professional career, social lives, etc. So really, really important is that one, bilingualism should not be discouraged. It's not a deficit. It's not a disorder. It's not a problem. It is a really strong part of a child's language development. And then another really important thing is that the best way to teach language and to model language for your child is your, as a parent, your language model. And that should be whatever language you feel the most comfortable communicating in. That's your strongest language model. And that's what you want to model for your child. Your child is going to do just fine developing language if they have that strong language foundation. And that strong language foundation does not have to be a monolingual or an English language foundation. It just needs to be a strong language, capital L foundation. So we really, really want to encourage multilingualism if that is a choice that a family is making in the home. And again, I'm including signed languages um, mm-hmm. and dialects in when I say multilingualism, because those are important as well. They're not going to stop or inhibit any other language from developing, you know, especially with our ASL communicators, signed language communicators. We hear this as well, that if they learn sign language, they won't develop oral speech. And that's the choice that a family makes that they want their child to communicate, both using oral speech and using signed forms of communication. There is no evidence that one is going to inhibit the other. They can really develop really well and really support each other, which is really important for all children. One more huge myth is that children with disabilities should not learn additional languages. So we get this a lot kind of similar to you know, the pediatrician, the SLP, they're having trouble with language. They do have a language delay. They do have a language disability. So they can't learn two languages. There is no such thing as that. Multilingualism does not cause language impairments or disorders, nor does it exacerbate any language development or disorder. So it's really important to continue to encourage monolingualism, even if your child is diagnosed with a language delay or a disability of some kind, you still want to develop their communication practices in all languages. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, 
rash, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball. Let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC. That's P-E-D-S-D-O-C. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just 2 minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno, lime cheddar chicken, and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 and use code peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code peedsdoctalk50 at factormeals.com slash peedsdoctalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. I think it's so great how you laid all these myths and misconceptions out and kind of debunk them. You know, the one you said about the people saying that you shouldn't be speaking these multiple languages. I wonder if they're coming from families who themselves or people themselves who just aren't multilingual or maybe culturally have multiple languages. But that is, I actually haven't heard that one a lot, maybe because Myself, I don't really say that to obviously haven't said that to any families, but that's a really important one that I think maybe some listeners might have experienced as well. Yeah, a lot of families and there's been research that that so many families are giving kind of this, this misinformation. And this, I think, disproportionately affects children who do have language delays and disabilities. We talk about something called kind of like forced monolingualism, essentially, Mm -hmm. which is when Mm -hmm. practitioners essentially tell families to stop speaking in one language in favor of the academic language or English. And that can cause more harm than good. You know, we talked about the benefits, right? That connection to family, community, culture is really important. Taking that part of a child's identity away from them is so detrimental taking away that connection with their family, right? That ability to communicate in their family. So, you know, it's really important. Again, it hits all the domains when we're supporting language and practices at home. However, any family chooses to communicate is a really, really important option. 
And you mentioned about modeling language, um, especially a parent who is inclined to speak a certain a language, you know, prioritizing that. Are there certain techniques or certain methods you recommend? So just say there is a family where I have this happen a lot. One parent speaks Spanish fluently, and then the other parent doesn't speak Spanish fluently at all and speaks English. How can a parent teach these languages at home if they want to teach both any particular strategy or things to consider when they're approaching these languages at home with their children? Yeah. So one way I really like to think about supporting language learning and multilingual learning at home, it's a framework that was created by Kathy Honer in a book that I actually Mm -hmm. teach um, in one of my classes. And it's kind of perfect for this podcast, the mom framework, M O N M stands for means opportunities and motive. So means essentially is the child having exposure and proficiency to the language. So lots of strong models of the language or the languages that are being used at home. So if parents are speaking different languages, that they're getting the strong models in both languages to develop them and that they're given opportunities to learn, use, and practice those languages. Those can happen in different environmental contexts with different partners. And those opportunities to learn and use language, they can be, you know, through conversation, spoken speech. They can be through writing and reading, can be available in person, virtually, media, the internet. And then motive, right? We want to motivate our children to use both languages. And so having them use language for specific purposes, like maybe writing a letter to a grandparent or communicating with a family member who may not share one language with a child, but shares another language with a child. It's also important, though, that motive can be swayed by societal value and attitudes about language because they're really sensitive to social values, right? So when we are honoring and valuing, especially as adults, various language practices, they are going to be more motivated to use those different languages. If the adults in their community feel that their language practices are you know, problematic or deficient in some way, they're going to realize mm-hmm. that too. And that's when they decrease their motivation. So really encouraging that, valuing it as an asset from all of the people in their life is really important. And then, yeah, there's lots of ways you can kind of implement this like MOM framework, right? Lots of ways you can provide these opportunities and motivation. So we see a lot, what you kind of talked about, the OPAL framework, one parent, one language. So one parent mm-hmm. speaks to their child in Spanish, one speaks to their child in English. So that's, you know, one great way to um, develop language at home. Another option is some families really focus on one language at home, mm-hmm. typically the language that's not being used in the community at large or in the academic world. So maybe they speak, you know, Mandarin at home all of the time. And then when the child enters school, they are first exposed to English in the academic setting. That's another way is really just you know, sticking to one language at home and then allowing the child to acquire the second language upon entrance to school. There's also bilingual childcare, bilingual education. So family member, that can be a nanny, daycare, there's immersion programs, especially if you yourself are not multilingual, but you would like to encourage that in your child. There are definitely ways you can do that as well by providing them with caregivers that might be multilingual and that can encourage that multilingual development. Also using books, music, TV shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons of stuff out there that really, that there's bilingual books. There's books that use multiple languages within the book themselves. Um, those are called like kind of translanguaging books. Songs. Songs are great. I have a, a 20-month-old daughter and I love, you know, I think I have the wheels on the bus. She loves the wheels on the bus. So I have a whole playlist and I have it in a whole bunch of different languages. That's her. awesome. Yeah, that's <laughs> too. We did the same thing. 
So there's so many great ways to expose the child to languages. And most importantly, highlighting that richness in diversity of language and languaging practices really, again, increases that motivation, right? It increases Mm -hmm. when you're showing how beautiful language and linguistic diversity is, you're really increasing that motivation to use multiple languages. So most importantly, talking to your child in the language that you can provide the best model in, communicating with your child. A parent said this to me once, I know English, but I can't love my child in English. I think Mm, that was so, so Mm -hmm. beautiful. They might be great communicators of English, but the language of your home and your heart, um, that's going to be the best language model for your child. So use that. Use that language. Do not let anyone tell you not to use that language. Also important, if you do have a child who has a language delay or a disability in any way, or you're concerned that they might need early intervention or speech and language services at any point, if your child is multilingual, they should be evaluated and eventually treated if they do need treatment in all of the languages that they speak. That is your right as a parent to advocate Mm. for, to make sure that your child is being evaluated in all of the languages that they speak, that they are being evaluated for their strength, that their English language knowledge is not what is being tested, but their languaging skills in general. And if they do need support, they should be receiving that support in all of the languages they speak. And, And as a parent, you have every right to push for that and to advocate for that for your child. So that's really, really important. It's something I want all parents to know that they have the right to ask for that for their children and they are not being difficult or (laughs) demanding by asking for it. They are supporting their child, their child's language development. um, And so I really want to encourage that as well, knowing that, that you have every right to do that. Well, I love what you mentioned about the mom method, the means, opportunities and motives. And that obviously applies to even if someone's teaching their child one language, obviously how important right. that is um, exposure, but it's so important. And I love acronyms. So I really, I really like that. And I've heard obviously the one parent, one language. Um, that's something that is commonly used in my, you know, the families that I meet in office. Um, this is so great. And you brought up that beautiful story about that mom who said, I just feel like I can love my child better in my native language or my, the language I'm more comfortable with. And that just goes in line of acceptance. You know, we talked about how in a lot of cultures, they may speak one language at home. And then when the child enters her school, that's when they'll get exposed using an example of of English. You know, I'm also an immigrant American, as are you. And my family spoke both growing up in the house, but I still remember growing up in a very diverse, especially Asian American diverse community. And a lot of the kids would come to school not knowing English. And we lived in a community that was very accepting of that, but there would be some children that would tease the child, you know, like, oh, you don't know English or, and I remember being a kid and being like, why are they teasing this kid? Like it, they're going to learn. Like I was young and I realized I'm like, this is not right. So I think one of the biggest things for me is acceptance of diversity and bilingualism. And I agree with you. You mentioned this in the episode already that even in 2023, that acceptance is not as much there as I would love. And I hope that that means that pediatricians and speech language pathologists and teachers can all understand that it exists and whether they are immigrants or they just choose to, you know, speak another language. I hope that diversity can be accepted so that we can promote this if this is what a family wants to do with their family in terms of language development. Absolutely. And, you know, in terms of like what you said about, you know, kids teasing other kids, I think no matter what language or languages your child speak, your child might be a monolingual English speaker. And that's 
there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I right. do not want to devalue the language and practice. Yeah, my son is a monolingual. He knows some Spanish and some Gujarati are native, but 80% of his language is English. And I don't feel a deficit of any kind. We will continue to teach him. But yeah, so putting that out there that I agree. Thank you for saying that because I don't want people listening who are like, but I don't speak other languages, yeah. but it's okay. It's totally okay. <laughs> yeah. I think what's most important is that, again, no matter how many of your languages your child speaks or your family speaks, whether it's one or a hundred, right? Yeah. You can teach them about the value of linguistic diversity. Yes. Of language richness, right? So even if your child is monolingual, they can still be an advocate and a support for their multilingual friends. They yeah. can support multilingual development. That's going to support their own language development as well, right? If they're exposed to different languaging practices, that has great cognitive benefits for all children, no matter how many languages they speak. So, you know, being able to do that for, you know, for your child, for your community, I think there are so many great ways to promote multilingualism, even if, you know, your child is not multilingual themselves. Oh, this is so great. Well, you already have given so many pearls and that was even amazing final message, but is there any final wrap up message you would love for our listeners to hear today? I mean, I think just, yeah, I'll just reiterate that your family languaging practices aren't the best thing for your child. The mm. choices you make in communication are important. They're personal. They are not wrong, no matter what anyone might tell you. They are really the best, the language input that you provide your child and the communication practices that you use at home and in your life are the best thing for them. You know, children... They want to communicate with you. They want to connect with you. Communication is a great way to do that. And no matter how you communicate, again, one language or a hundred languages, you are providing beautiful input for your child and you should continue to do that no matter what anyone else says, continue to love them in the language and the language and practices that are closest to your heart. Oh, that was so great. What a great wrap up. Alicia, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing this insight and this, obviously, all the debunking of the misconceptions. I love it. I think it's so important that we get that out there. And I hope people that are listening are not just multilingual families. I hope they're also monolingual families. So again, we promote the acceptance of what everyone is doing. And thank you again for joining us. Of course, it was wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was great. And if you did, you have to leave a review and rating and also call out Alicia and her amazing information. We love celebrating the guests that are able to come on this show. And your reviews mean so much to the show and its growth to help it continue to be a top 50 parenting podcast in the United States. And I will have another guest next week. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review. Share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at PedsDocTalk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, PedsDocTalkTV. We'll talk to you soon. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. 
I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.